0: Well, you don't need me to tell you that it's been a challenging year. We could spend the next 20 minutes um, going through a big list of the challenges and that wouldn't be very edifying or very encouraging for any of us. The challenges are plenty. We thank God and we thank those who have been busy ensuring that the vaccine, that there is um, hope there, there is light at the end of the tunnel. But I think if any of us are listening to anything or reading anything or maybe this week hearing from our First Minister or the Prime Minister, whoever it is we listen to, then we will be aware that there's certainly going to be a few challenging weeks, perhaps even a challenging month. I would ask especially for the folks here and many who are online to pray particularly for our families because this is a challenging time. It looks as if children, well, they're not going back in Scotland for another week or so, who knows what will happen. It may be that that's extended into January, trying to home-teach your children as well as to carry out your work, and everything else is very difficult, and so do pray for our families, and also pray for those, yes, who are on the front line, but not just those who are in the medical sphere, but I've often thought of many within our own congregation who are teachers, uh, those who are involved in social work, are other people who are serving in shops and and working behind maybe a plastic screen, but are having to deal with the public. Many of us, thankfully, perhaps, can retreat into our nice homes and we have, dare I say, reasonable pensions or good salaries and we can work from home and we're quite secure in all of that. But many others are not. And I know you know that, you good folks here. And it's good to be reminded of that as we sit perhaps within our own bubble. That's one of the negativities of this time we have. that's a virus that has fed a self-centeredness and, and, and this desire to protect ourselves and perhaps maybe those who are important to us. But as far as anybody else is concerned, well, perhaps we don't all often think of them. So, let's do pray for those who are on the front line and for those who are going to have challenges over this coming few weeks. I'm going to read you a passage from God's Word that came to me as I was thinking of what to do this morning. We'll start a new series of things next week, but what to do this first Sunday of the year. And I, this, these verses came to mind from Isaiah chapter 43. And so, let's hear God's Word together. The context, explain the context, isn't Very great. Um, This is what's known as the second part of Isaiah, the prophecy of Isaiah, Isaiah the prophet, or perhaps somebody who was associated with Isaiah, is, is bringing God's word to God's people who are now in the midst of judgment. The first 39 chapters of Isaiah warn God's people that things are challenging. Why are they challenging? Because they've turned away from God. They've focused on themselves. They think they can do it. They can make it. That's the great ailment of the West, that we can we can do it. The Tower of Babel. Do you remember that first Sunday in March? The Tower of Babel. We can make it. We can do it. Well, it all came collapsing down for Israel and for Judah, particularly the of the southern kingdom here, and, and their enemies had broken in. And there was a period where they were surrounded and, in a sense, put under control. A puppet government was put in place, but that didn't last very, very long. And then they were eventually just completely taken over, and the vast majority of the population were taken off into exile, into Babylon. But this second part of Isaiah is the word of promise. There's the word of warning and rebuke, but there's also now the word of promise. And this is what we're reading this morning. Isaiah 43. But now this is what the Lord says. He who created you, Jacob. He who formed you, Israel. Do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I gave Egypt for your ransom, Cush and Seba in your stead. Since you are precious and honored in my sight, and because I love you, I will give people in exchange for you, nations in exchange for your life. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. I will bring your children from the east and gather you from the west. I will say to the north, give them up, and to the south, do not hold them back. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth, everyone who's called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. Lead out those who have eyes but are blind, who have ears but are deaf. All the nations gather together, and the peoples assemble. Which of their gods foretold this and proclaimed to us the former things? Let them bring in their witnesses to prove they were right, so that others may hear and say, It is true. You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, so that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me no God was formed, nor, nor will there be one after me. I, even I, am the Lord, and apart from me there is no Savior. I have revealed and saved and proclaimed, I and not some foreign God among you. You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, that I am the God. Yes, and from ancient days I am he. No one can deliver out of my hand. When I act, who can reverse it? Amen. And may God indeed bless to our hearts this reading from his own holy word. Well, over these past months, we may well have listened to the First Minister or to the Prime Minister or to Mr. Leach the medical officer, or to Professor Whitty down in London, or whoever. We've been used to listening to these experts or these political leaders bringing to us a, a word of direction and guidance, um, although I did encourage you, and I'm glad to say, one or two did speak to me after and say they thanked me for that, did encourage some of you to stop listening to too much, because you can't listen to too much and just suddenly become overwhelmed by it all. And, and, and I have to confess, and this is not maybe a partisan void, I think I've only listened to the First Minister twice or three times in the whole ten months, um, and the Prime Minister probably similarly so, um, because it can become too much. But we, it is right that at times when we need advice, and I think probably in the next week or two, we will hear something, maybe even later this week, from our First Minister about the way ahead and everything else. At times like that, we should listen. Because there is a word of guidance, there is a word of direction, there is some insight which we'll need to know in order to be able to navigate through the next few weeks. Well, in the midst of all of that, it's also been the last ten months where we've needed to hear God's voice. Be very easy for that to be drowned out. Let's be honest, it's very rarely referred to in the public domain, and one of the great scandals of the church, I read a very good article just the other week in the newspaper from um, somebody who certainly isn't a Christian, in fact, somebody who'd be somewhat skeptical about the faith, but he read a very penchant challenge to the church, to the leaders of the big churches within our nation, at their failure to speak out and to speak into what's happening, because as somebody who was not even a believer, he made the point that if they do believe that God is active in history, well, why are they not saying something that makes sense of what is happening round about us? Well, I do hope and pray that in some way, weak and frail as I am, we've heard something of God speaking into times over these last ten months. It's so vital to believe and to know that God is a God who speaks. I mean, the very start of this passage is this, but now this is what the Lord says, he who created you, Jacob, he who formed you. And indeed, if you want to read on into later on in the day, you can read on into 43 and 44 of chapter Isaiah, and repeatedly we read, this is what the Lord says, verse 14, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel chapter 44 Now listen Jacob my servant Israel whom I have chosen this is what the Lord says He who formed you who formed you in the womb verse 6 of chapter 44 This is what the Lord says Israel's king and redeemer the Lord Almighty I am the first I am the last apart from me there is no god, no god and then later on just for the last one verse 24 of 44 chapter 44 this is what the Lord says your redeemer who formed you in the womb no Notice that God is speaking to his people, and he makes a very specific claim that he is the creator of his people. Really, in many ways, these last months have simply revealed how godless, including many who lead us and who advise us, not necessarily particularly in just Britain or in Scotland, but globally, how godless and how lacking in any awareness of God are many who lead us. There is little recognition, and this is simply revealed that more obviously these last months, that we come as believers before a God who, above everything else, is the Creator, He who created you. In the same way as perhaps when we're growing up, we should listen, anyway, most times, to our parents uh, not because, just because they have the title parents, but because they are the ones who, in a sense, have created us and have a care for us and a responsibility for us. And so we listen to them and reflect on what they say as we grow up. So all of us, as a sense, the children of God created in His image, we need to hear what a Creator is saying to us. And so the Lord speaks to the world but he speaks to his people. Notice he says, He who created you, Jacob, he who formed you, Israel. We need to affirm. There's one of the great phrases, again, all lives matter. Never Black Lives Matter earlier on in the year, and all lives matter. Well, I'll have to say to you this morning, that is true, but for God, his people matter even more. We need to affirm that very clearly. There's many things as Christians we hold on to, and again, over these last months, we really have to critically think through and begin to question, actually, whether they're Christian or biblical or whether it's just a form of nice humanism. Yes, all lies mad. As created before God, we all stand before Him equal. And so, there's no place for racism or any kind of phobia or anything else. But the Bible's very clear that there is some people who matter even more to him, and that's the people that he has formed and brought to himself. That's very clear. This is a specific promise. These verses are a promise to Israel, to the people of God, those who are called out by Yahweh to be his. And look at what he says, "'Do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine.'" He's possessive. God is possessive about his people. "'When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze.'" There is, of course, a notion of Christianity and indeed of religion generally in the world that if you believe in God, then somehow that's your passport um, to, to, to a safe life. Somehow it's a bit like getting, you know, playing a game of Monopoly, and you get these cars, you know, get out of jail free, and, and move on to, you know, Park Lane, where you can build hotels and bring in a lot of money, a kind of version of Christianity and a religion which says, well, if you're in the club, then you're going to be safe, and nothing's going to harm you. Well, that certainly isn't the case. That certainly is the case. And I know many of you sitting here in, in the sanctuary testify to that. That's not the case. It's not that we don't pass through the waters. It's not that the rivers don't come round about us. It's not that the fires don't start and burn right round about us. It's not that. The realities of life, and perhaps some, especially, dare I say, with respect, some of us of a younger generation. That's why I'm looking at the up here rather than down here. need to waken up to that reality. We have been cushioned so many of us, from the realities of life that the vast majority of the world has had to go through. We rightly lament 70-odd thousand deaths in this country, the United Kingdom. Can I tell you, I was just checking this on my phone, with the advantage of the internet, you can do that, on my phone just before the service started. It's reckoned conservatively that 70,000 children have died in Syria because of the war there, over these last ten years, and that at least half a million people have been killed in the war in Syria, and millions have been homeless and are refugees. And so, we need a reality check, and that's what God's been doing. It's not that we don't pass through the waters. It's not that there aren't fires or rivers. But here is the promise, the same promise that I made reference to that we've looked at this week here in the devotionals. That promise from the book of Leviticus brought to us, actually, I have to say, through the prayer guide. (laughs) Very helpfully drawing our attention to a promise that God says to his people, to those who are his possession, to those he has summoned by name, I will be with you, Emmanuel. In our times of grief, in our times of loneliness, in our times of confusion and perplexity, in our times when what we think is safe has been thrown up into the air and turned upside down, the promise is if we are part of God's people, we don't need to be afraid, for God is with us. And how I thank God that many, many of you have testified to that over these coming months, not just in personal conversation. We can all talk the talk. That's one of the challenges, again, of Western Christianity and even of conservative, evangelical Christianity. We can all talk the talk and use the words and everything else and carry big Bibles and everything else, but the reality is when we're in the real world and the real life and the fruit that comes from that, the fruit of faithfulness, the yearning to be in the house of the Lord, to meet with others for prayer and for nurturing in the faith, for turning to God and seeking him in a time of trial. All of that testifies to the fact that we are part of that people that the the passage tells us, I have redeemed. So, there's that promise. This is what God says. He speaks to his people, and he's speaking to us this morning, do not be afraid. And that's a word surely as we go into twenty twenty one. But look at how that's worked out for what the Lord does. He we read on. Verse three, for I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt for your ransom, Cush and Seber in your stead. Since you are precious and honored in my sight, and because I love you, I will give people in exchange for you, nations in exchange for your life. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. I will bring your children from the east and gather you from the west. I will say to the north, give them up, and to the south, do not hold them back. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth, everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. Now, we've made reference many, many times over many years, including last Sunday, where we had this, the colors of Christmas, that the very heart of Christianity, of biblical Christianity, is the whole concept of redemption, of people, of of our people being bought back by God. Now, here, of course, the prophet's literally talking about events in history, about the Babylonians, and about what's going to happen to them, and how they're going to fall, and the Persians are going to rise, and how through the events of history, through the ebb and flow of the nations rising and falling, God is going to bring his people back. It's one of the hints of restoration, that the exilic people are going to be brought back to the land of Israel. And, of course, in history, that's exactly what God does. You see, God, when God speaks, he fulfills his promise. Maybe not in our time span, maybe not always in the way we want, but he keeps his word. That's why he's true. And so, in history, he's done that. He did that for the people of Israel way back when he delivered them from Egypt. Those verses are referred to in Leviticus. Uh, You know, Egypt was given as a ransom in order that the people of Israel could be restored. The God who breaks the yoke of slavery, God acts in history and in the affairs of history. We need to remember that and all that's going on right about us. But of course, particularly as we gather here as believers, we come before a God who has done an act of redemption, that red with the colors that are laid out before you, that red reminding us of Jesus Christ, of the one who came, the Emmanuel, who was born to be our Savior. Notice that's what the prophet speaks about. I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I gave my Son for your ransom. Since you are precious and ordered in my sight, and because I loved you, I gave him in exchange for you. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. In Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my strength, my hope, my joy. And so that work of redemption, buying back a people for himself, a fallen people, a people chosen, not because we're special or anything like that, but out of God's sovereign purposes and out, as we see for his glory, he buys a people back. And that's why we thank God for Jesus and for his life among us, for his love shared, for his life given as a ransom for many. And notice what it says. This is what God does. He has provided that way of buying a people to himself, and it's a global thing. He says, I will bring your children from the east and gather you from the west. I will say to the north, give them up, and to the south, do not hold them back. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth, everyone who's called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. It's good to remind ourselves, and again, I think God is challenging us in the west. We are in decline. I think we're going to rue the day we allow China to get away with what they've done. I don't mean the Chinese people, but the Republic of China, the People's Republic of China. And how they've even noticed yesterday the fake news that they're spinning now that it started on different places all over the world where the band played, believe it, if you like. And whether it was an accident in a wet market in Wuhan or as a recent Panorama program suggested very clearly, an accident from a research establishment in Wuhan, we should have held them to account. We didn't. Why? Because the West is weak. We are in decline. We might not be too worried about it, but our children and our grandchildren will face the reality of that. All history tells us, all empires rise and they fall, and that's what's happening in the West. And it's good for us to remind ourselves, therefore, our Christianity that's been so westernized, so west-centered, so, you know, centered on our understanding is actually only a small part of what God is doing in the world. I still remember, after, though it's many years ago now, way back in 2005 or six, joining with believers in Brazil— and seeing how God was graciously at work there, sitting in a congregation, which was a church which was packed. We take out our pews because we don't have enough people to fill them all up, and we put seats in because it looks a bit better. They fill their churches with pews because they can't get everybody in, and the pews are right to the very back door. And although I don't speak Portuguese, and let's be honest, I can hardly speak the Queen's English or the King's English, and yet just a sense being part of the people of God from across the world. And others of us I know have had that experience, whether it be in Ukraine or Russia or in Africa or in other parts of Asia. We may not know the words, but we know that we're in the presence of God and part of that one church, the church that the Bible tells us Christ Jesus loved and gave himself for. And here is that big picture. I will bring your children from the east, gather you from the west, say to the north, give them up, and to the south, do not hold them back. Bring my sons from afar, my daughters from the ends of the earth, for everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. That people that God had purposed, he will bring. That picture we listened during the week at one of the devotionals to, well, it was actually Alan Jones singing a hymn in the bleak, no, in the bleak midwinter. We sang that as well, but it came up on Midnight Clear. And a couple of verses he sang in Welsh. First time I heard it, I thought, well, it was he suddenly burst into tongues? But no, it was Welsh that he was singing. But even that was a wee reminder. People from every tribe, every language grouping, every racial grouping, Gathered, and in their tongues, what did they doing in the Book of Revelation? Making a noise, a noise like the sound of many rushing waters, as they worship the Lamb who was slain. For them. that's the big picture of God's purpose: that bride of Christ, that number without number of people from all over the world, bought, paid for by the blood of Jesus, gathered, giving glory and honor to God. How we need to keep that picture before us, that big picture. You know, we all think it was all about me. It's not about you. I don't really matter. Neither do you. It's about God, His glory, and His purposes, and His people. And lastly, as we move on, lead out those who have eyes but are blind, who have ears but are deaf, all the nations gathered together, the peoples assembled, which of their gods foretold us and proclaimed us the former things? Let them bring in their witness to prove they were right, so that others may hear and say, it is true. And with respect and with real humility, I would encourage you, if you're not too sure about that, even just within our own little fellowship, maybe listen, if you want to, go online and listen to what we said a year ago, the first Sunday of 2020, what God said to us through his word that Sunday. Or the first Sunday in March 2020, when we looked at the Tower of Babel and what God was saying to us then. He does speak. Who could foretell what has happened over these past ten months? Even the greatest scientists and and philosophers and, and political leaders of the world could not. And in that courtroom, God says, the nations will gather and they will try to show that they're in charge and that they know it all. And they'll say it is true where we live, do we not, in a time of fake use. But the Lord says, You are my witnesses and my servant whom I have chosen, so that you may know and believe me, understand that I am he. Before me no God was formed, nor will they one after me. I, even I, am the Lord, and apart from thee there is no Saviour. I have revealed and saved and proclaimed, I am not some foreign god among you. You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, that I am God, yes, and from ancient days I am he. No one can deliver out of my hand when I act who can reverse it. Very briefly, because time is nearly gone. Very briefly, this is a challenge to our understanding. If God speaks, we come before a God who speaks to his people, and we loudly and positively acclaim that and testify to that, this morning that the God who's spoken in the past is speaking today and will speak into the days that lie ahead. He speaks through his word. He speaks through the preaching and proclamation of his word. And all true preaching should have that prophetic edge, bringing God's word to bear on our times and into our lives. He speaks to save people so that their ears are open, so their eyes can see. That's what he talks about there. Let those who have eyes but are blind, who have ears but are deaf, he speaks, and you life the dead receive. But our calling is to be a witness to that, to be a witness to that. And as we finish, this is a challenge, and much more could be said about this. This is a challenge. There's so much of what the church understands as evangelism. I don't necessarily mean our Little fellowship here in the, some wee backwater in the middle of, well, nobody no nowhere, but you know what I mean? Huddings is hardly the center of the world. But nonetheless, in that global picture of mission and evangelism, this challenges much of what is said. Maybe not yours familiar with it, dear brother in Christ, Robert and Nick and others, Gregor and others will be more aware of it. But so much of evangelism is based on me and what I get out of the faith. And how really, in many ways, we might not actually say this, but actually we think that we're a little prince or a little princess, and that somehow we're doing God a favor to be part of his team and his club, especially today, when so few people actually believe. Well, my friends, just be very careful if that's what you think. Remember the words of Jesus, Lord, Lord, did we not do this? And he said, I do not know The calling of the church and the calling of the believers is to proclaim and testify not to me and to how I find it. There is a part for that. There is a place for that. I'm not saying there isn't. But ultimately, it must point to God. You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, that I am God. You see, ultimately, that's what this is about. It's not about lifestyle. Let's be honest, very easy for the church. It's very easy for me or for you to point the finger. Let's be honest, that's one of the other things that come out of this COVID thing, where people in self-righteousness point the finger at this person or that person. Maybe not we don't, but other people do. And say, oh, look at them. Look, they're not wearing their mask. Or or they had somebody around. Or they're doing this. Or they're doing that. Well, yes. But our calling is not to point the finger at people's lifestyles. After all, if they don't know God, so. But lift up our hands verbally, and in our lifestyle, and point to God, the Creator. He has revealed Himself, yes, in Scripture, and supremely in Jesus, born of Mary, born of God. He has saved. He has given the price for a people for Himself, and He is proclaimed, and the church's calling is to proclaim Christ crucified and to point to the reality of the eternal God before whom all of us will at the last have to face and to give an account. I, and not some foreign God, has spoken among you. You are my witnesses that I am God. And should we perhaps get a wee bit fearful, understandably so, or a bit wearied, then listen to these final words. Yes, and from ancient days I am he. No one can deliver out of my hand when I act who can reverse it. The vaccines will be through and there will be a change, we trust. And these coming weeks, which will be challenging, perhaps even the next month or two, which will be challenging, will pass. It's amazing how time passes, isn't it? Just by saying i get getting old, but it passes in very quickly. But that's not the end of the story. And as we face, and especially those of us who are a wee bit younger with due respect, and as we face the coming weeks and months and years of this decade, and on my heart, time and again, I've shared with you, this coming decade is going to be a challenging time for the church in the West and in Britain how we need to be affirmed that God speaks His Word to His people. Do not be afraid. I'm with you. He has paid that price, ransomed, healed, restored, forgiven. Who, like me, His praise should bring? Nothing, nothing can deliver us out of His hand. And therefore, with confidence, with our heads held high, not in arrogance, in us, that's a problem sometimes. We, you know, but in confidence in God, the Creator, who's formed us and who's redeemed us, we walk with heads held high through all that might happen. And say, so, you know what? And people say, why are you like this? How are you keeping keep going? And why, you know, why are you coming out? when? You know? Because God is with us. And nothing, nothing can snatch us from his hand. And my calling, and your calling, is to bear witness to such a God. Amen.